right on the front of your bulletin, you have our mission statement. And it says that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. And you've heard from the pulpit many times in other areas of our church that that mission statement is manifested through three relationships. Our love for God, our love for each other, and our love for our neighbor, those that are outside the church. This morning, we're going to be looking at a rhythm that's given to us in Scripture. If we look across the Scriptures, we see different biblical rhythms that are designed to help us grow in the relationships I just described. And so we're going to look at the biblical rhythm of prayer. And the name of this message is, is, is important because I want, it's, a, it's a phrase that I want us to take home with us today. It's important. It's a very simple statement. It says, we pray because God listens. We pray because God listens. And we'll see in a moment that not only does he listen, but he wants to hear. He desires to hear from us. And we'll see that here in a moment. We're going to be in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 8. If you are using a pew Bible, it's on page 811. And as you're turning there, I'm going to take us across a journey in the past and to the present because I want to lay a foundation of why he listens. Because we go all the way back to creation and we see Adam and Eve and God walking in the garden and they're walking in harmony. They are in relationship with one another. They're talking to one another. And what a beautiful and intimate time they have together until disobedience occurs. Once disobedience occurred in the garden, the relationship was broken. And then we walk across time for seven generations from there when sin has permeated the earth. And God comes to a man named Enoch. He raises him up. He speaks to him. He relates to him. He builds relationship with him. And the Bible says they walk together for 350 years. And Enoch was sharing about the Lord. He lived his life reflecting God to the world that he lived in. And God befriended Enoch. So much so that God took him out without him ever tasting death. What a relationship. But it was God who initiated the relationship with Enoch. We move forward seven more generations to a man named Noah. And by this time, sin and evil has permeated the entire earth and everyone on it. But God comes to Noah and he initiates a relationship. And he raised up Noah to show him what's going to happen and to instruct him on how to save the world. And God, in his relationship with Noah, saved him and his family across the flood 
in an ark. Eight more generations and we find that the world is filled with sin once more. And God chooses a man named Abram in the land of Ur. And he raises this man up and he grows him. He tests him. He strengthens him. To the time we get to Genesis 18, where God himself and two angels appear to Abram, he makes a meal, and for the first time, God, our Yahweh, receives a meal and sups with Abram. And he goes from being a servant to being God's friend. And his relationship grows and makes him a father of nations. And we go across the expanse of time and we see God initiating relationships with kings, with prophets, and with priests across the span of time. All of them he initiates, all of them he grows, he develops and nourishes and uses for his plan. And today, oh, today we have a relationship beyond relationships because God sent his son, the Christ, to die on a cross, to pay for our sin, to raise from the dead, to ascend to the Father. And today, we have a relationship that's beyond relationships. It's amazing because Jesus who died for our sin, has now made way for us. In Galatians 4, 5, it says that we are adopted as children. In John 15, Jesus says that we are his friend. In Revelation 19, 7, it says that we are his bride. In 1 John 3, 1, it says we are his children. And you see these relationship pictures that were given across the scriptures of husband, wife, of father, child, of friend, all of them designed to be intimate and real and deep. And then the Lord goes a step farther because when Jesus ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And now with the Holy Spirit in us, he has every hair on our head numbered and counted. There's no place on the planet we can go that he's not present. He knows the words that are on my tongue before I speak it. He desires us. He loves us. He wants to be in relationship with us. Why does God listen? <laughs> because he's our Father, he's our friend, he's our husband. That's the kind of pictures of relationships that's given to us in the scriptures. And he desires to be in relationship with you and I. And that's what I want us to have in mind when we look at the text that we're looking at this morning. It's kind of an unusual text. In reality, this is the only place in the Bible, Matthew 6, 5 through 8 is the only place from Genesis to Revelation where Jesus gives us very specific do's and don'ts on prayer. 
And it becomes very helpful as we look into this together this morning. I'm going to begin actually read Matthew 6, 1, and then I'm going to jump to Matthew 6, 5. Matthew 6, 1 is, a, is, is the head of the chapter 6, and it's important as we, is that kind of controls the events of chapter 6. So listen to Matthew 6, 1, and then I'm going to jump to verse 5 through 8. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's a beautiful text. We're going to look at this in three, three ways, three, three teachings that he brings to us. And the first one is the first four words of the text, and when you pray. So it becomes pretty clear as Jesus is speaking to the multitudes here on the mount, his disciples and the people that have gathered together, it seems pretty clear that he assumes that we are already praying. And that's an interesting assumption, right? If we are in Christ, then surely we pray. Now, we, we might argue with ourselves that we don't pray enough, but the Christian prays. Matthew Henry writes about this text. It was very interesting when I saw it. He says, you may soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian who does not pray. Chris Campbell, one of our members, we were at the prayer meeting together this past Wednesday. He made a quote. Uh, of an unknown source, but it was very interesting. I enjoyed it much. This is what he said. He said, uh, a question is asked, which is more important, the word of God or prayer? And the answer is one is for breathing in and the other is for breathing out. They are vital. They are life-sustaining. We are unable to go without those. We who are in Christ, we pray because our heavenly Father listens to us. He wants to hear from us. He desires this deep relationship with us. Now, this message is not intended to make anybody feel guilty about prayer. So Jesus already assumes you pray, so certainly I do. Assume that you pray. So this is not about do you pray. This is about how we pray. And that's Jesus' point here in this particular text. How not to pray is our next step. We've seen when you pray. This, he says, is how not to pray. 
And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, you have seen their reward. Well, certainly when I read this, the first question is, what's a hypocrite? Now, dictionary.com says that a hypocrite is a person who pretends to have virtues, moral or religious beliefs, principles, and etc., that he or she does not actually possess, especially a person whose actions belay their stated belief. John MacArthur writes about the origins of the word hypocrite, and he says that it refers to the actors who used to wear large masks as they, as they portrayed the role that they were playing. So hypocrite then becomes someone who is pretending. Someone who is pretending to be something they are not or pretending to say something they are not really believing. So the question that I'm left with and as I went through this and is what is the heart of his problem here? What is the heart of, of his concern? Because it, it, it certainly is not standing in the synagogue or standing on the street corner. So it's not a position of prayer, right? Because in the scriptures, we see sitting praying. We see standing praying. We see prostrate on our face praying. And Jesus modeled most of those. Well, is it location? Is, is the location the problem? Well, well, I don't think so because the synagogue was the house of prayer. The street corner is outside and Jesus is outside teaching this sermon. The Sermon on the Mount was outside. The model prayer in, in, in this chapter is outside. So it can't be positional and it can't be location. So what is he digging into that seems to be the real problem? And the real problem that he has identified is some are praying, but they're praying to impress people. They're praying to, to endear themselves to the people that are listening. When I first looked at this, I said, well, you know, today's Christian culture, it seems logical that some might argue, well, isn't it okay to pray in the public corner? People are going to see me pray, and, and then they're going to ask questions, and I can use it to share the gospel. Or if I'm praying uh, at church on Sunday and somebody sees me pray at church and they're going to say, oh, well, you know, gosh, tell me about that. Well, I think we can pray in public and I think we can do those things. But what Jesus is talking about is the person who is saying words, but they're not praying to God. They're praying to man. And they're praying to please man. And they're praying to be seen by others so that they themselves look good. This is an insult. This is an insult to our Father in heaven when we come and we pretend. And all the while we're praying, we're thinking about how good this makes me look. This makes me look real spiritual. 
these people are going to really like me because I pray well. I'm going to write it down so I get every word just right so they'll like me more. There's the problem that Jesus has with these that are doing this. And then he speaks of a reward. He says, when you do that, you've received your reward. Well, what, what reward? Well, when we think about it, this is not an uncommon thing for us today, right? Through media and book sales and, and on tours, people are constantly seeking to self-aggrandize, to, to make everybody love me. And oh, what a feeling it is, boy, when, boy, everybody's patting you on the back and everybody's telling you how great it was and how good you are. Oh, your prayer was just so eloquent. That feels good, right? (laughs) Well, that's the reward. And remember in verse 1, it says, when you get that reward, you don't have one from the Father. When we get that acclamation reward, and the heart's not right in the process? Father says, you've already received your reward. We have received our reward. Now we turn and Jesus takes a step farther when he begins to talk to us about how to pray. He said to us, when you pray, then he talks about how not to pray. Now he says, how you should pray. In verse 6, In verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The New Living Translation of that verse says, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. One of the things that we see here is is he's sending us into a room, into a private place. And certainly by going into a private place, we hedge off the potential to be in front of others, the potential to, to want to impress others. And that's what he's speaking of here. But broader than that, broader than going into this private room, He wants our prayer to be private to him. He wants our prayer to be private to him. And to him is the one who knows my heart. To him who the one who knows what I'm thinking, what I'm desiring, and what I need. He knows all of those things. And so he is helping us see the value of coming and praying in private, to come into this private place, to enter into this intimate love relationship with our Father in heaven. As has been described to us as a father-child relationship, a brother-sister relationship, a friend-to-friend relationship, a husband-wife relationship. All of those relationships are given to our humanity so that we can understand the intimate nature of what the Father seeks from us. Because He knows it will grow us 
He knows it will develop us. He knows it will encourage us. It will strengthen us. This is the value, the value of regular prayer or the rhythm of prayer. I am confident we all pray, but I am confident we can all grow in a rhythm of prayer that's bringing us into this steady cycle of praying at at our own pace, at our own time. Another interesting thing in play on words here is in verse 5, the you, when he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. That you is plural. But here in this verse in 6 where he says, but when you pray, go into your room, that's singular. Now we're getting to one-on-one. And it brings us into this intimate space. It's another clue to what the Lord is after from us when he says, don't do this, but do this. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you're already praying, but don't do this because I want you to do this. Because it has value. It is powerful. Our motive to pray really is because God listens to us and we know it. And we know he wants it. And because of love, those are the values that we continue to see. And as we do this, as we pray with him, as we, and and pray, praying is praising. I need for us to hear that. Praying is praising him. And when we do that, and when we do that regularly, it will lift us to new heights of our love for the Father. Listen to me. Simple, pray, concise, love, joy, being with him lifts us to new heights of love for God. And it's a powerful thing for us. He wants us to step into this prayer closet, but, it, but the prayer closet isn't the whole truth. If we need to do that to stay separate, yes, but we see Jesus praying in lots of places besides the prayer closet. So the prayer closet isn't the primary point. The primary point is private. Private prayer. Private from my heart to the Lord. That's what he's after in every circumstance. If I stand and pray, he's asking me to go from my heart to there. Or if we pray corporately united, it is from our heart to there. It's a powerful thing. Oh, by the way, we gather at 5.30 tonight for prayer. (laughs) We can unite in prayer. And I want to encourage you to come and be a part of it. Because we get to come together and lift up our prayer to him. And what a powerful thing that will be. The private is the key. The emphasis is to pray to the Father from heart to heart. And when we do that, we'll get his reward. His reward. So there was a reward from man, but there's a reward from the Father. Think about that. There is a reward from the Father that's right now. And the reward from the Father that's right now is when we recognize the God of creation has asked me to come to him and we're in relationship. It's an honor, a privilege. 
of freedom. That is reward. But there's another reward, and that's eternal. A reward that's to come when we can be with him. Have the freedom to talk, like back in the garden with Adam and Eve before the fall, to be able to converse in person and chat. What a reward that will be. Whether we're praying in our closet or whether we're praying in public, it's a private prayer. That's the guide that he's showing us here. We have a second how not to pray. And that second how not to pray is in verse 7. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for the many words they say. In 1 Kings 18.26, the prophets of Baal, they cried out, O Baal, answer us over and over and over for a half a day, thinking that they could convince Baal to hear them. In Acts 19, in the mob, it's 19 verse 34, the mob in Ephesus shouted, Great is Artemis for two hours straight over and over and over in order to get Artemis to hear them. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't do like they do. Repetition's not going to get it. Fancy flowing oration of prayers using words that no one understands. That's not what he's after. No. Don't do like they do, he says. He says, Our Father is not impressed. That's what he's showing us. Our Father is not impressed with our fancy words, nor our great communication skills, but rather he simply wants to know what's on our heart. What do you need? How can I help you? Adam Clark, in his commentary, writes, The eloquence of prayer consists in its fervency of desire. Its fervency of desire and the simplicity of faith. Spurgeon has it, Christian's prayers are measured by weight, not length. Many most prevailing prayers, Spurgeon writes, have been as short as they are strong. So it's not the length of our prayer that carries the weight. It's the sincerity of the heart. It is the openness with which we're speaking to the Father. The honesty with which we bring to the table is what becomes important. In verse 8, it says, Do not be like them. Don't do that, he says. For your father knows what you need before you ask. The father knows what we need because he knows our heart. And he lays before us, he lays out this request before us to pray 
to come to lay out your heart's desire. He wants us to come with all of our anxieties. He wants us to come with our fears, our troubles, our difficulties, our crises. He wants us to come and lay those before him because he knows that he can strengthen us and encourage us and bring contentment and can bring peace because he's outside of us. He has strength outside of us. And he encourages us with it and strengthens us with it. He understands us. Christ is the perfect high priest because he's been tempted in every way that we have and has endured all of it and has resisted it, but he knows our struggles. He knows us. And through Christ, we have access directly to the Father. If you are in Christ, then I am confident you pray. And Jesus assumes that you do already. And he has shown us that on ways that we should not pray, and he has shown us ways we should pray. When we look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, we see he himself had rhythms of prayer. He models what rhythms of prayer might look like. Jesus had special places where he went to pray, according to Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, where he says they was leaving upstairs, and then he went as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus had a, a special places that he had identified, depending on where he was at, that he would go pray. Jesus, uh, he intentionally created time to be alone with God. And we see that in, in Luke 5, 15 and 16, where there were, there were vast crowds of people gathering, and they're waiting to hear him preach, Yet Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And so Jesus was intentional about the rhythms of prayer between he and his Father. Jesus prayed when he needed wisdom. There's another rhythm of need displayed. In Luke 6, 12 to 13, it says, Jesus prayed all night before he chose the 12 apostles. So he prayed for wisdom. Jesus prayed when his soul was crushed. In Mark 14, 23 to 36, there's a scene at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is praying, he is praying fervently that there'd be a different path than the cross. And yet through that prayer, we heard, but not my will, but your will be done. The power to communicate, the power of, of interaction with the Father is a powerful thing. And Jesus demonstrates that to us. The relationship between the Father and Son was, was we saw in Jesus' life, it was nurtured, it was maintained. It was a cultivated relationship. And it became perfect through Jesus and the Father. In John 17, Jesus recalls back, Oh, Father, I desire to have with you the glory we had before the world was. 
this, you can sense his manhood and his godhood, but throughout his time here, he displayed for us this rhythm of praying to the Father when the needs arises or when the right place came or when he had big decisions to make. He created this rhythm intentionally. There's no question that, and I won't speak for you, but I can speak for me that I pray. I do, but I know I can grow in my rhythm of prayer. Because right now I have a rhythm of praying by laying down at night when things get all quiet. That's kind of my rhythm. Because that's when I really go to the Lord and pray. And this morning I'm not trying to paint for us some, some uh, uh, a theory of what you should go do to create your rhythm. Because your rhythm is going to be different for you than it is for me. And that's the beauty of the, of, of the relationship with the Father. We all should develop the rhythm, but the rhythm should fit us and him as we work together. When we think about these relationships that have been given to us, child, parent, friend, friend, husband, wife, can you imagine developing those relationships among us and hardly ever talking to one another? Parents, how much do you talk to your kids? Kids, how much do you talk to your parents? Friends, do you ever communicate with one another? Husbands and wives, do you ever talk or you just close the door and don't say a word? No, these are all pictures of relationships that we can recognize. That's why the Lord and that's why the Scriptures have given them to us, is that we, we can recognize what they are and what they look like and what the value is and how to do it. That's what the Lord is seeking with us. He desires a relationship. And we have seen that from, from the Garden of Eden all the way to today. He is seeking us to come to him on a regular basis so that we can grow. There are many ways that we can create our rhythms of prayer. And as I have said already, they're not going to all be the same, but there is something that's going to be in common with all of our rhythm of prayer. All of our rhythms of prayer are going to grow us in our love for him. There's the commonality between every, every rhythm. It is going to grow us. It's going to grow our relationship with him. Praying is a powerful thing for us. The love relationship that God has given to us when we believe in Christ. In Romans 5, he says that he fills our heart with his love. And then we begin to grow in the knowledge of that love and we begin to reciprocate that love. And that is done through this rhythm of praying together. Back and forth, listening, reading his word. Pastor Ryan's going to be preaching next week on, on the rhythm of the word. Remember the quote that we opened with was, the word is like breathing it in and praying is like breathing it out. And what a beautiful picture that leaves us with. 
there are many ways that you can develop a rhythm of prayer, and there are, there are multitudes of resources that you can use. Uh, D.A. Carson has a book, Praying with, Paul, Praying with Paul the Apostle. He has a whole list of his prayers. They're great. This is a great little book you can get on uh, seedbed.com. It's a field guide for daily prayer. Pastor Cam gave that to the, our pastoral team. It's a really helpful prayer guide to sit and read through. It's, there's just multitudes of these things that we can do. It is the intentionality, though. It is the intentionality of each of us to grow this relationship, to grow in our love for him. Our Father in heaven desires this deep relationship, and he desires it with every one of his people personally engaged in our growth in him. Creating a steady rhythm will enhance our relationship just like it did with the Father and the Son. It will develop it with us. Why do we pray? Because God listens. Because God wants to hear. He desires to be a part of us. This morning, we have seen Jesus assume that we pray. We've seen him teach us how not to pray. Then he says how to pray. As we draw to a close, I'm going to ask us to pray together to close our time. I'm going to close with the Lord's model prayer. He modeled it for us. So let's say the Lord's pray, prayer together to close our time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.